Okay, welcome back to Chess Underground, September 2023. Or, as I like to say now, in the past, yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And technically, because when the listeners listen to it, termination, listen to something recorded in the past. Anyway, this is going nowhere. Go, Paul. I, I'm, I'm Competition was extremely. Welcome. Boy, to you couldn't string a catfish on a kite stick experience. if we tried to find better topics to talk about. I tell you what. <laughs> I take that to mean you are enthused about our. Darn two Excellent. So with that, let's just jump right in. Um, Gopal, we have an interesting one today, and we kind of went back and forth about it. We both really like it. We're excited to discuss it. Our topic du jour is chess in 2050. Mm-hmm. So a brief overview of, of what we're going to discuss today. We're kind of going to play a little bit of a Nostradamus role, right? We're going to put on our... What kind of hat do you put on when you're predicting things? A wizard's um, hat? I put on my wizard's hat? Yeah, I guess, yeah. Or like the the, the streetwear, like the, the like people wear nowadays. Unfamiliar with, with your yeah. reference. Yeah, me yeah. neither. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, okay. Anyway, I put on my wizard's hat and cast my level five longstaff spell. Um, into the future to look in my crystal ball and whatever other metaphors I can come up with. Essentially, we're going to be making predictions about what we believe the chess world, and I'm using world very loosely, kind of an all-encompassing chess world, right? What we believe the chess world is going to look like 50 years, no, not 50 years from now, 27 years from now in 2050. Uh So we're kind of projecting forward. You know, if I think back 27 years, that was 1996. Man, a lot has changed, right? I mean, Chess Master 3000 was like the best computer program in 1996, you know? Right. Fritz was emerging. Fritz Fritz was maybe emerging. Deep Blue definitely was. I'm not sure if there was a version of Fritz yet in 96. No, there there definitely was. Like, I believe... um, because what, Shirov was using Fritz 5 or something like that? Or no, Fritz 5 was, I think, in the late 90s. That, but that sounds correct. So there must have yeah. been one in 96. Yeah, there must have been one. Um, but I'll, certainly, I mean, if we, look, if we look back 27 years, a lot has changed in the interim. Mm-hmm. So what is it going to look like in another 27 years? And I think in particular, in the last five to seven years, we've really seen an acceleration in the way the game uh, has developed, both in terms of like media, you know, being able to watch things, being able to learn differently, um, interacting with technology differently, as well as popularity. So I think that acceleration is probably only likely to drive chess in different directions, even further moving forwards. Um, And we're going to kind of guess and project and uh, predict what that might look like in the year 2050. Good, Paul. Are you ready? Let's let's shake it gravy. Let's shake it gravy. Okay, first I don't one know, up. That's something people say, right? I, you know, I haven't heard that one, but we'll go with it. We'll go with it. Maybe it will be by the time twenty fifty rolls. Right? In twenty fifty, yep. Right, there you yeah. go. Let's make it happen. Internet, put it out into the internet, and you never know. Um, let's shake it gravy. Will be viral. That's my first prediction. No, all right. First prediction, really simple one. Um, 
I predict officially chess in 2050 will have already seen the death of the super tournament. Interesting. I think I agree. I think this is a bold one. I think this is a bold one because right now there's so many super tournaments and they're like gaining momentum and gaining traction. It almost feels like I'm, I'm sort of like shooting myself in the foot right off the bat with this first prediction. So I'm curious to hear though. Why do you agree? Um, I mean, the classical super tournament, right? Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we see a lot more super tournaments, you know, in a rapid format and blitz format and stuff, which is refreshing, you know? Um, but yeah, like, I think kind of something we're going to touch on later, too, like, a lot of events, even ones that I previously used to enjoy, but like, for instance, the World Cup uh, this year, it's usually my favorite tournament. Yeah. I don't know. The the game seemed the content seemed a bit, you know, less exciting than before, you know? Why do you think that is? I, I agree with you, by the way. I, I'm a big fan of the um of the World Cup in terms of like stuff I like to watch. So what do you think the difference was? What what's happening? I don't know. I mean part of it's like <clears throat> maybe inevitable, like or playing style um is changed like you know, preparation, everybody's preparation is like a lot more equal um, mm-hmm. or more on equal footing these days because the, uh, of course, the amount of information that we have. Um, and yeah, just overall, the general increase in, in level, like kind of makes it a bit less entertaining uh, sometimes. But, you know, getting back to our point at hand, um, this kind of uh, translates naturally to the super tournaments as well. In what way? Uh, in that, you know, the chess content is not going to be, like, as exciting. You know, the classical super tournaments. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. Because yeah. of that, um, I don't think, like, staleness is necessarily the right word. But something like that, right? Because of that, um, mm-hmm. there's, there's like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? There's like a, the parody of the game is great because you have all of these like really close, like hard fought matches, but it's also damaging it in some ways, right? Because the players are so close in strength and, and it feels almost like um, that old, Oh, chess is a drawing game. is kind of back on the menu, if you will. Yeah, for sure. Um, Especially like, you know, in some ways it's been enhanced by like the strength of the computers. Cause like they show a lot of, um, different ways that the margin for safety um, and like the tolerance of a position is maybe a lot higher than we once thought. Like, so you see a lot of openings like where, you know, black is okay everywhere. Um, right. Like I can move my H pawn on move three or whatever and be fine. Or like even, you know, we were talking about the delayed Schleeman. That was one of the first ideas. Um, uh, like, you know, I looked at during the pandemic that, you know, that was back on the menu for a while, you know? Um, Right, yeah. But, like... Reviving some of those, like, previously dubious ideas, yeah. Right, but also, like, you know, it it makes it, you know, very easy to already reinforce the really established ideas, you know? Like, I mean, the Petrov was, like, out of fashion for quite a few years, you know, after, I think, like, Gelfand stopped playing it, you know, he was one of the last people, um to play regularly, but now it's just enjoying a renaissance, you know? 
Right. Yeah, it is. In in no small part, thanks to American number. Is he number one still, Fabi? Mm-hmm. Probably. Okay. I don't know. Uh, who, yeah, I don't know who would have surpassed him. Yeah. Interesting. So um, I think, you know, you're, you've hit the nail on the head. And uh, that's why I was curious to ask you why you agreed with this. You know, one of the big things that I think, and, I, and I've actually brought this up on the show before, I think we've discussed it, is I think chess as a sport to consume is more entertaining and lends itself to be more accessible, especially to a broader public in quicker time formats. Oh, as there's more action. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's very superficial. I, I fully like acknowledge that it's a very superficial argument. You know, the action argument, right. It's like, if I were a, if I were a, a baseball purist, you know, saying, Oh, we need to, we need to have a pitch clock and speed up the game. Right. And the traditionalists are like, no, let's do whatever. It's similar concept. It's basically, you know, Hey, it's more entertaining. There's more action. There's more stuff going on. Yeah. And because of that, it makes it makes for a more engaging game. As you pointed out, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't the Levitov Chess Week just recently conclude as well? Yes. And that was all rapid, right? Yes. And Blitz, I believe? Right. I don't think there, there was any classical in that, as I recall. Right. And just before that, the, um, the Speed Chess Championships, right? The online right. ones via chess.com concluded. So, like, we're yeah, already... Then, I mean- Oh, right. Oh no, no. Like the uh, Tata Steel, um, they have like a big rapid, rapid invitational now. Mm-hmm. Right. That one also had a classical component, though, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right, of course. But that's like a, a newer thing in the last few years. If the I'm addition not of the rapid inputs. Right. Yes. Yeah. In such an established tournament, you know. Exactly. Right. So I mean, like, you know, we're seeing that happen already. I remember 27 years ago, you know, sort of rewinding back to 1996, although it was probably a few years after that. Do you remember the Amber Rapid that occurred? Oh, absolutely. uh, Those were the best ones and like the blindfold too. But that was the only one at the time, right? I mean, do you remember in that era, there weren't Mm. really many other, other, oh, okay, of course the World Rapid and Blitz, right? But there weren't really many other major, major Rapid and Blitz events super major events going on other than the M, right? Only the only one I could think of was uh, Intel. Do you remember the Intel Grand Prix? Oh, yes. Wow. I had complete, that had been erased from my memory until you brought it up just now. Oh, man. What a a great event. But like, see, that it's kind of nice for them, um, you know, back then because like, it was such a treat. It It was so rare to see like that, you know, back then. But like now, we have such a big saturation, you know, but yes, still, it's interesting I think that's how that ha- in that saturation, it's interesting. It, it felt like it happened almost overnight. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think, you know, there's but, the grand chess tour rapid, there's the speed chess championships. There's the um, Julius bear cup. I think it's called or something like that. Yes. Um, and, there's just a variety of these rapid events popping up almost everywhere. It feels like. And yeah, it's the best for the, <clears throat> for the proliferation of the game. Yes, the game shall proliferate itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's interesting we're on the same page and, and sort of for the same reasons here. Um, it's really tough to envision the classical super tournament surviving to the year 2050, at least in anything close to its current format. 
You know, even right. Nor- Norway Chess, which is a recently sort of initiated classical tournament. Oh, has, the scoring system, right? Exactly. The soccer it has scoring that, system. Precisely. It has that weird yeah. component. And not just the soccer scoring system, but remember, so if you win, you get three points, right? That's the soccer scoring system we're talking about. But if you recall, there has to be a daily winner as well, right? So if there's a draw mm-hmm. in the classical yeah, game, then course. they move to rapid until they get a daily winner in those faster time controls. So mm-hmm. even that event, which is, you know, compared to something like a like a Vaiganze or, um, you know, et cetera, uh, it's pretty new in comparison. Right. And it's already trending towards, um, you know, not just embracing, but sort of like really formalizing these more blitzing rapid components. Yeah. Like, I don't know about you personally, but, and this will probably have to be the last thing we say about this, right? Before we move on. Um, I have all day for you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably go for it. Well, well, um, uh, shake that gravy or what, what's the phrase we're trying to popularize? I don't know what you're, uh, what you're getting at here, sir. Um, yeah, I mean, when's the last time you watched like a super tournament like live? You know, it's I, yeah, good point. It's been a while. I usually try I don't, to catch the recap. I mean, I'm not one to to watch sports anyway, so the whole live thing just kind of like, who cares? But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's like it's kind of tough, especially you know you see just like certain you know stale Berlin draws or whatever, um, you know, and the commentators have to act like something special is happening. Or the worst is that queen d6, queen e6, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Right, exactly. Yeah. And then just the game is over immediately, and maybe there's only two or three left to focus on. Right. Or, like, God forbid, multiple games end like that in the same round. Right. Oh, which has happened and will right, continue to happen. Yeah. What, what happens? So... If we're calling for the death, maybe this can be the last last statement we make about it. If we're calling for the death of classical super chess or, or super tournaments, what happens to classical chess in 2015? What does happen? Is it just a, a, a relic? I don't know. I think at least in 2050, there still has to be a classical chess world champion. Um most certainly, and, and, and also course, classical we'll chess have... is such a useful tool for improving players, right? So it's not going to go yeah. completely away. So and what it does will... happen to it? You know, what I really hope is I just hope they shorten the time controls, honestly. Like, I I, I, I love 90-30, but also, like, you know, don't you hate spending multiple days at a chess tournament? Yeah, honestly, I really do. Like, that's I, one of the reasons I don't play that much anymore is I don't have... I don't have three days to go somewhere and play. Right. And honestly, like, I mean, let's be real. We, we would rather spend as, as little time there as possible. <laughs> as uh, discussed previously. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they could, they, like, they could do that, you know, shorten the time controls a bit, like, for the elite events, find some interesting, like, hybrid or semi-rapid type time control. Um and yeah, maybe even offer titles for Blitz and Rapid separate, you know, from like classical chess. Like uh, Blitz Master, one might say. Uh, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> you know, okay, this really will be the last thing on it. It's interesting. There was a tournament I played in, and I believe they still do this in Colorado. 
So mm-hmm. it was the Colorado Open maybe or Denver Open. I can't remember which. But basically the first two rounds were game 60, delay five. And mm-hmm. then for the final three, it went to game 90, increment 30. So the idea Dude. was you speed it up a little bit, right, in the early rounds of a Swiss, and then and then you get the time control for the more competitive. Bro, that just sounds like you you played a, a two-day schedule. <laughs> <laughs> right, but everybody had to do it. <laughs> You're right, it does sound like that. That's a good point. But I, I mean that was just like the the you know, that was just like the norm. Maybe even shorten <laughs> it more. Maybe it's like 45 and then. Yeah, 45 would be cool. I mean, dude, even game 60, like, I'm down. That's that's plenty. Um, if Grandmaster Vladimir Georgiev, like, he he and uh, Nikola Mitkov, they talk about the days that they long for their, uh, what they call semi-rapid tournaments in Spain, you know, 25-minute uh, games with um, with no delay, actually, no increment, you know, and yeah, so you just variations like that. But that was back in the early 2000s. In fact, in the day. you know, the, those were useful games for them because, like, they talked about how many um, new opening ideas they, like, you know, integrated in, into their repertoire and, like, worked out because of those. And then, um, you know, actually, Nicola didn't lose a game in the accelerated schedule for, like, years after he came to the U.S. For, like, yeah, the first two years. Yeah, familiar at least. with that tempo, the quicker up-tempo game. Right, yeah. All right, go, Paul. We have to move on. You have a couple of predictions. Why don't you introduce your first prediction? Put on your wizard's cap and take us to 2050. Um, so tying in with opening preparation, like I kind of just want to reflect on the different eras first of opening preparation. So, for instance... Uh, let's say, I don't know, Go. we were talking about 1996 earlier, mm-hmm. right? Right. What a year. Um, I mean, Gary Kasparov had the best preparation, right? And like... Yeah, ostensibly, and, I mean, Karamnik, could, you could make an argument for. Right, yeah, exactly. But like, and, and this was such a big strength at Kasparov's where he was thought to like tower over others, you know? Not only does the guy play amazing, but he also has this like, you know, crazy secret prep, right? Right. But then, you know, nowadays, like, the playing field is really leveled. Um, everybody's reading the same books, you know, the same, like, technolo- good technology we all have. So it's, like, harder to find these, like, giant bombs in the opening. Right. Yeah, you can't um, run, like, the, the most recent and highest level of stockfish on your smartphone. Right, yeah. And just like overall, like def- just as it has been over the years, like defensive technique has been quite refined in terms of like basic technique, but also like, you know, feelings for dynamics. Like you see a lot of old Rubenstein games, for example, and the opponent just allows himself to be squeezed to death. Whereas like nowadays players can make more dynamic uh, fighting decisions a bit easier, you know? Right. Yeah, um, and so, like, heading in that trend, I mean, and if we think a lot of the the tournaments are going to be, like, in rapid chess or whatever, um, you know, I've always liked that idea because you could always let your hair down in rapid. You know, you could take a bit more risk, like, in the opening or something like that, you know? Yeah, definitely, and and you see that happen as well when you watch those bounce. Right, yeah. So 
a lot more like basically what people have started doing already, like practical opening preparation, you know, even some ideas that maybe are not fully sound. They're like semi sound bluffs, you know, um, Precisely like because that. even if even if you spend the time to refute it over the board in a rapid game, the the position uh, positional advantage you've achieved may not be as valuable as the time on the clock. Right, exactly. You know, and anyway, the the trend for years has been like kind of these hit and run, uh, so to speak, ideas like uh, like one game tries against the Grunfeld. You know, the Grunfeld being so well reinforced theoretically like you're gonna you're basically like just checking out your opponent's prep or something like that you know Mm -hmm. so essentially your prediction is a further widening of the um conventional repertoires is that yeah yeah and i i kind of wondered like thinking about this old yasser sarawan story um where he talks, it was a, a some sort of lecture he was giving, and he was talking about how back in the in the day Arthur Bisquire was playing the Berlin defense. You know, mm-hmm. um, at that time it had a reputation of being like a very kind of stodgy way to play. Like Black was kind of like suffering for a draw, or like you know a very drawish ending, just uh, kind of dull even. Um, sure. And, you know, Yasser Sarawan and his friends, they're wondering, what's chess going to look like in the 2000s? You know, they <laughs> wondered about, like, Rude. is the Nidorf going to be refuted, you know, or, like, is the Grob, like, some crazy futuristic opening? But then who would have thought this defense, which was, like, last popular in the late 1800s, was the opening of the future and here to stay? You know, that's fascinating because when you introduced this topic to me, the first idea that popped into my head was, I wonder if everyone's going to be playing the grub. Yeah, exactly. And um, I didn't say that out loud. So it's funny that we run that same, same wavelength. Right. Yeah. But like, you know, I, we already see the benefit, you know, Alpha Zero has taught us the benefit of shoving rook points early. Uh-huh. Maybe it'll figure something out. Hey, why, why Fianchetto the bishop when you can just go two with the pawn? Right. And also... You know, this will be interesting to note. I remember uh, years ago hearing that maybe it was Mikhail Gurevich, maybe it was some other uh, strong grandmaster um, that said H4 is the first, is like the worst first move that White could make. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I was checking in with the computer recently, like it hates G4 a lot more. So that's interesting that, you know, it, I don't know what everybody's perception was back then, but I always thought G4 was the more suspicious move. Um, and indeed, it turns out to be according to this generation of engines. It certainly feels that way, doesn't it? Yeah. And notice I said this generation of engines, because as we talked about, like there have been certain times where the computers seemed like, you know, okay, this was the truth. You know, this is the truth, right? And then Alpha Zero comes along and we're like, oh, wow, this is like all these neural nets. This is the truth, you know? I feel like we have maybe one more, a couple more evolutions, you know? Yeah, at at least, I would say. I mean, I don't know. I certainly don't claim to be an AI expert or anything like that. But I can say that your point is extremely salient, you know, in that every time it feels like, okay, there's you. how can you possibly make an engine that is significantly stronger than this you know right 
And I think back to um, what was the one that beat Kasparov in the early 2000s? It was not Deep Blue. There was another one. Deep Was it Deep Fritz? X3D Fritz. Yes. Yeah. I think back to that one and how that one just felt like an impenetrable wall of, you know, like, okay, this is clearly the best thing that's ever going to play. Right. And, and only Kasparov could, like, dent its armor, you know, getting all those scary positions like in the uh, Queen's Gambit as white and stuff. Right. And now, nowadays, you know, we think about that and just like, okay, obviously what, what is available in this generation of uh, technology would just wipe the floor. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's interesting. Okay. So prediction of a general widening of the acceptable opening repertoire hashtag slash um, reintroduction of more dubious play, which by the way, this is another one that we're kind of already seeing, Right. Right, in the rapid and, and stuff like that. Precisely. We're kind of Which already we beginning talked. to see the, the um, shades of this, if you will. My favorite, you know, it, my favorite, just before we move on, by the way, like one of my, like to me, got to be the quintessential, you know, iconic rapid opening idea, um, or at least it's one of them, um, would be Ivanchuk's queen sacrifice against Karyakin in the Sozin, in the Nidorf. This is ringing a bell, but it's buried somewhere deep in my memory. Queen take me e6. Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah, no, it's just, it's a beautiful idea. Oh, Those... and then the knight comes there, right? The queen right, queen and then rook yes. h1, yeah. Right, yeah, 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 okay. Um, yeah, like, like that one, because I think in a longer time control, I mean, it, it's, you know, easier to figure out, um, and white's maybe the one, like, fighting for equality there, um, or maybe he could hold equality, but... But yeah, like see, seeing, being able to have ideas like that, um, just a, a chance to pop up a bit more regularly, that seems kind of appetizing, doesn't it? It seems extremely appetizing. That's a prediction I'm going to go as far as to say I hope comes true. Yes. I mean, I, I guess I generally hope that that, that is the, the trend and the direction of, of chess opening theory. And this one of the reasons I love Fisher Random so much. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would agree. By the way, can you drop, do you remember the uh, event and year of that game in case users want to look up the Ivanchuk game you were referencing? Yes, it was the, it was actually from an Amber tournament. Of course. Um, and I believe it was played on Ivanchuk's birthday, too. Uh, 2008, if I'm not mistaken. So there you go, guys. Just in case you um, uh, doubted it, Gopal is indeed an encyclopedia. Um, just proving it for the record for everyone. Uh, w- let's move on. We've got a third one here. This is this is one I thought of. It's an interesting one, and I'm curious to, to hear how you feel about it. So I'm not sure if you saw recently, um, but uh, Chess.com did some kind of a co- collab with like a, a game, like an online game. I, I think it was maybe an MMO or, or something like that, massive multiplayer online game. Mm-hmm. Um, Might have been a role-playing game as well. So my my next prediction for 2050 is I actually think more role play, more role play. Well, I've already put on my wizard's hat. Okay, uh-huh. um, right. No, my my prediction this flesh for, costume is getting kind of tiring myself. But anyway, you didn't, ha- you didn't have to put it on. That was your choice. You know, you've made your own. Uh, um, my body, their choice. <laughs> Just full disclaimer: we did not make anyone put on any costume for the show today, and we do not have a YouTube to prove that. Um, so my next, my next prediction is chess is going to, uh, fully move into the realm of esports 
And in mm-hmm. fact, I think we're going to see it directly integrated um, with digital gaming. And by digital gaming, I mean everything from, um, you know, hey, let's log in to play in a quote unquote chess surfer. I don't know if those will still be around by then. We might have something completely different to, okay, I'm playing World of Warcraft and my half orc battle master or whatever. Uh, has to unlock this piece of gear and now they have to like solve a mate in five to do it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not going to be quite that direct, but I do think that integration so, is going to be there. So it's going to, I'm sorry. I, I lost. So it's going to be like saw. Uh, yeah, but with chess instead of nice. birds. <laughs> no, I mean, the idea is basically it's going to become, it's going to be V gaming. It's going to be video game. Chess is going to be viewed as uh, an integrated part into uh, video gaming. It's already one of, if not the biggest, like uh, um, e-games in terms of like viewership and streamers and, and, and et cetera. I don't have the, the exact numbers in front of me because of course I did a ton of research, but mm-hmm. I remember it's, it's, it's at the top or near the top of, games that are watched via streaming and and uh and streaming platforms like twitch and youtube so it's like it's already pretty close to being part of that world like i think we're just going to get there full time like you're going to go to comic con you're going to go to i know there's a video game convention similar to comic con but i can't remember what it's called and chess is going to be like front and center at those events Mm -hmm. which is crazy because it's like this analog game that has been survive the test of time number one and two is now somehow like it's like you know when one of those like weird like you know western dung beetles like infiltrates north america or whatever and you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's like the it's like the infestation species or whatever they right call yeah it. my ex-wife yeah uh-huh. <laughs> though but that you know that is what's going to happen with chess and like video games and i predict by 2050 we're going to see you know um uh, you'll be playing Fortnite, and, and you'll have to whip out a chessboard to defeat someone in a in a one on one or something. Your thoughts, Mister Gopal? Uh, you know, honestly, as I've never really been that much of a V gamer myself. Do you um, know who was? Uh, the yes, Albert I, uh, I thought you were I, okay. I was oh, like, uh, yes, you said, me as well. But well, yeah. when you said late grade, I was like, you're still here with me, buddy. Right yeah, for the time being, and barely. Um, yeah. yeah, I so I honestly, I don't know. I mean, yeah, obviously, like I think it's going to be more famous because of stuff like this. But um, <clears throat> like, I'm kind of wondering what other branches of uh, entertainment we might see it in as well. Yes, that's actually an excellent point because it has been such a presence in pretty much all of our culture's media, film, Mm -hmm. TV, books, social media, hashtag chess bumps. I paused just so you could say it, (laughs) but it's, you know, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's everywhere. It really is. I mean, there's a subreddit uh, dedicated entirely to chess. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's like it's literally everywhere. It's it, it's in every bit of media that we have, and I think because of what we're seeing, like that's another thing. If we want to get really kind of meta here for a moment, if we pr- project forward to 2050, like, are we gonna? I mean, are we gonna still have like TV anymore? 
Like, is there going to be like networks like NBC? Like everything is moving away from uh, the classic, I don't know, cable model, you know, to, you know, you know what I want to know if we have, I wonder if we are going to have Shrek. Like, I I wonder if there's going to be more Shrek in chess. Like you remember my favorite Queen's Gambit meme? Shrek is life. We will always have Shrek. No, there, no, there was my favorite meme from that show, the Queen's Gambit or whatever it was called. Um, I remember when we had Shrek go up against, um, Beth Harmon in a hypothetical 24 game. Oh yeah. Shrek, Shrek destroyed, right? I actually don't remember what we said, but that sounds right because he I don't know. I kind of want to run that back now. Do um, it again. Yeah. Well, but anyway, but you remember my favorite, uh, meme from that show, right? I Where it's not, like, no, catch me up. Oh, it's instead of, um, Beth Harmon looking up at the ceiling and seeing the, the chessboard. Um, it's a picture of Shrek looking up and seeing the chessboard. Really? Yes. Wow. How did I not know of this meme's existence? That's fantastic. I'll send it to you as we continue to discuss. But um, maybe possible future show topic two. Favorite chess memes. Oh, favorite chess memes. Yeah. I mean, as much as we'd like to do a a fully Shrek-related, you know, and frog-related and whatever amphibious creature uh, podcast, we have other things to discuss. We do. Um, Okay. My thoughts on this one are, are pretty straightforward. Gopal, anything to wrap it up before we move on to the next topic? No, not really. Yeah, I think chess is just going to become like, you know, it's all it's already almost fully digital. Pandemic pushed in that direction. Twitch is pushing. Push it's going to be direction. like Shrek. It's it's following, it's with you everywhere, right? Well, Shrek is with me everywhere in my heart. Mm-hmm. Okay, what do you got? Next prediction, fire it up. Um, what was your next prediction, sir? You're up. It's like a rotation, you know? Oh, I I don't know. What what was I supposed to do? Remember what I was talking about? Um, uh, The rise of variants. Like duck chess? New variant just dropped. Uh, Maybe not duck chess. I've never played duck chess. No. So it's actually kind of an interesting concept, but I don't want to derail this. We'll talk about it in a minute. Good. Uh, Anyway. Uh, No, I made a flatulence sound. Okay. All right, anyway, proceed. Yeah, as if to poo-poo the idea. Um, Understood. Yeah. um, We had talked about during, I believe we had a variance episode, right? Long time ago? Yeah, we did. Yeah, and so one of the things I had talked about, uh, especially with Crazy House, but it could also be with certain variants in general, um, especially those that have the same starting position uh, consistently, unlike 960, um, you know, one of the things I feel like we miss out, we missed out on compared to other generations is like such huge swings in understanding of the game, like how Paul Morphy, you know, showed like, you know, some of the first like really dynamic, you know, resources or ways to play, how to play in like the open positions or whatever. And same thing with Anderson. Then Steinitz came back and refined defensive technique, you know. Uh and then the hypermoderns, like I mean, the revolutions of the game just feel less dramatic. I mean, yeah, I was going to say, what was better? the great revolution of our era? Maybe just computer learning, databases. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, a lot. Like, I think even defensive technique is still has been refined yet. Um, mm. And 
yeah, I mean, all the stuff that their neural networks uh, have brought to light, um, you know, feels like chess from a different planet. So, you know, I really liked the idea of Crazy House because from an aesthetic point of view, the positions are so beautiful um, and so unique and like so full of drama and intrigue. But, um, and we also have a chance to go, you know, through those evolutions again, like, I know the computers are well-developed for regular chess, but what about for Crazy House, you know? Right, yeah. I mean, are they as useful at analyzing variants? And will, I mean, Crazy House is such a tough one because there's so, there's so, I know this this is absurd to say in a way. I was going to say there's so much to consider, right? When we have engines that can calculate like literally billions of ply per second or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. But really, with Crazy House, there is, right? Because every exchange impacts so much. It's not just the, the new position on the board, but it's what you can right. do with that exchange material. You know, it's yeah. funny you bring up Crazy House first. You might remember our last episode was sort of underappreciated people throughout chess, right? Mm-hmm. One name that I had that I didn't bring up and I kind of regret a little bit was Yan Lee. Oh, wow. That, that would have been a great one. Yes. Yeah, so if you're... If you're if Jan you're Lee interested to learn more, exactly. Yeah, just look up. Is it Jan or Jan? Jan I think Lee says Jan. Okay, look up but Jan Lee sure. Crazy House. J A N N. J A N N L E E. Right, Crazy yeah. House, and enjoy the videos. Really, really fun uh, to watch and learn a ton from. I thought I knew mm-hmm. a lot about Crazy House, and then I watched some of those, and I was like, okay, still have some learning to do. Yeah, and it kind of just makes you wonder, like, if we were to compare it to like the evolution of ideas, um, the timeline of that in the game we play now. Um, where are we at with Crazy House? Are we, I mean, it, wouldn't it be crazy to be in the Morphe era I think right we now? are. I really do. I think we are. And I, you know what else? I'm even going to go a step further. I think Yan Lee is almost kind of like the Nimzo of Crazy House. Oh, so That's like... That's a super lossy Steinitz. comparison. Yes, but he's like, you know, he's sort of trying to like, codify some of his ideas when you see him play he doesn't always go all out for mate you know like he does talk a lot about the you know the importance of a positional advantage like because precisely yeah and like and placing pieces for defense like every move you know i one of my favorite quotes was just from a random game he's like okay every move has to be a piece drop for defense now because mm-hmm. he, you know he's 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 open and he's sort of on the defensive so he's trying to get more material on the board with every move to defend squares Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like things yeah. like that can, you know, be, uh, a refreshing take on an old classic as the children would say. And maybe as, as we touched on in both of our first two topics, the death of the classical tournament and the widening of the opening repertoire, you know, maybe as regular classical chess gets fleshed out further and further, um, we see more of a, an interest or a, a thirst to investigate some of the theory of these variants more, right? Because right now yeah. it's, it's almost like a subculture. It's not, you know, super popular to like go look up crazy house opening theory, for example. Right. And it's just, yeah, generally less accepted, I feel, um, mm-hmm. which is something we talked about on our variant program. Um, like, especially just to repeat one of the points from, from there, um, <clears throat> being a 
a competitive pool player, like it's interesting to see how open like a lot of pool players are to different variants um, mm-hmm. of the game. You know, uh, like sure we have the games that we like to play, but you know, you have to know like quite a few games, um, especially if you want to play like competitively or also for money too. Um, so that's it. Whereas like in the in the chess world, it feels like there everybody's too like it's it's too impure, you know, or it's too weird. Looking. Yeah. There's like, um, you're right. There's like a, a, almost a stigma about them. Right. Right. Or yeah. It's, like it's, it's a not waste proper of time, or a waste of hurt. time. Yes. Right. Or, or on the extreme end, it could hurt your chess. Right. I would love to see, you know what I would love to see? I would love to see King of the Hill theory. Yeah. That might be one of the, that yeah, that, but that's probably, like maybe for what we could apply to regular chess, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's essentially regular chess. You just have to touch the middle with your king. I mean, I would. What I do know is, I would love to see all these variants uh, get their time of day. You know. Get, yes, I completely agree. I completely agree. Get their, get their just desserts or whatever the, the phrase is. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm behind you on this one. You know sort of what I referred to already with um, just moving more towards an e-game, I think sort of an essential component of that, you know, getting into the video gaming industry, getting into the um, more mainstream elements of video gaming and being considered part of that is embracing um, variant ship, if I can coin the phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've referenced, you know, duck chess earlier sort of as a joke, but um, you know, that sort of thing, is definitely where I see chess going. Duck chess, basically, there's a, a piece on the board that's a rubber duck. If it's your turn, you are allowed to move the rubber duck. That counts uh-huh. as your move. So both players can move the rubber duck. And it blocks, it, it, essentially, whatever square it's on, it's just like it blocks that square. So you can't land on that square and you can't go through that square. Um, and that's the, whole, that's the whole game. Just duck chess blocks squares. Pete, how tantalized would you be if they made a sort of helpmate variant. I would love that. I, I don't know how it would work because if both sides are trying to helpmate themselves, that would be tricky, right? Mm-hmm. But no, that would be fantastic. I mean, I, I'm a big fan. The reason why I like helpmates and selfmates so much are because it's, to me, it's like about discovery, right? Mm-hmm. You have to discover sort of these hidden ideas of how to like construct exactly what you want to happen to get it to happen uh, mm-hmm. it's almost like a reverse you know you've ever solved those like reverse game constructions where they'll show you a position and be like yeah the retrograde the analysis precisely yeah right and mm-hmm. i find those fascinating because you know it, it's it's a journey of discovery like okay so i figured out that this must be true about the position but yet this other thing cannot be true so therefore i have to like consider some different method of achieving this position you know this actually makes me think about another small point that I would like to make if we have time. Oh, we just have, a small point. I have all day for you. Excellent. So, you know, when we t- did our last episode about um, underrated or underappreciated players or figures of the game, um, Wotowa was on the list. Um, and then I think yes, recently, mm-hmm. if I haven't sent it to you, I will send it to you. And everybody, please do yourselves a favor and check out uh, Stefan Nielsen on Twitter, the composer. 
Um, he just came out with a book through Quality Chess. I believe it's available on Forward Chess called Endgame Labyrinths. Um, but he is a great composer. He is, that man is a treasure. And I kind of wonder, um, wonder if, like, indeed, the classical super tournament format becomes less prevalent. Um, how many, like, top players might make their foray into composing? After all, some have made their foray into correspondence chess to like sharpen their openings, like Sasha Kiran, Emmanuel Berg, and others. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I wonder how many would try their hand at composing again. Yeah, that's an excellent point, and I mean it. It's like a creative thing as well, right? So if you fancy yourself uh, an artist, uh, what better way to ex- express that art in chess than through a composition? That's true, but like it. it generally feels like the game is a bit less artistic now. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It does feel a little more sterile in the computer era, right? Or just like, you know, more more the sport, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but, more, more sporting than, uh, than aesthetic. Right? Is that the right way to phrase it, I think? Yeah, I think so. But, you know, that's just the, the way things are. And, I mean, like we were saying earlier, who... Er, who is to say it's going to stay this way also? Yeah, that's the other beautiful thing about the game is there's, there's uh, I don't want to necessarily call them peaks and valleys, but there are um, hooks and crooks, right? There's turns and, and unexpected evolutions um, or mm-hmm. revolutions uh, that, that constantly change and, uh, and adapt the game um, to modern times, which is cool. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that keeps coming back. I thought I was out, but they pulled. No, I never thought I was out. Okay, that's great news. <laughs> I'm so glad I could uh, enthrall you with that. Um, Gopal, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, those were our those were our four predictions for 2025. So I'm going to run them down again. Just correct me if I get anything wrong here. So the first one was the death of the classical super tournament. We think it's going to be a lot of blitz and rapid and maybe hybrid events. Um, the second one was the. Uh, widening of the opening repertoire and the accepted opening. So basically, I think you're mm-hmm. calling for essentially a, I don't want to say final, but a postmodern revolution of of opening usage. Does that seem fair? In yeah, that's a fantastic way to put it. In in many senses of that expression, we're going to see a lot of uh, <clears throat> move one, two, or three, h four, or a four. Um, and then wasn't there a guy? on ICC back in the day, like Scorpion Chess or something, who used to just play A4, H4 every game? Or, or Knight A3, Knight H3? Yeah, something like Scorpion that. Scorpion Defense, something like that? Yeah. yeah. We, hope, we hope they're well. I do. I definitely do. All of, all of the old ICC, like, you know, revolutionaries, let's just call them that. We hope mm-hmm. um, Maybe that should be... A top, a great topic for the future, and maybe something we should ask our readers about, like maybe reminiscences on the golden age of internet chess. I would love to hear that. If you're out there listening to the show, send us your memories of the ICC revolutionaries from back in the day: Scorpion Defense, God Gusti, Capilano Bridge. If you know, you know. Um, okay, third one was. The uh, transition of chess into a full-time B game or E game, video game or uh, E game. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and the fourth and final one was 
which I, I love this one, the rise of the chess variant. I think that's so cool. Mm-hmm. I would love to have, you know what I would love to have? I would love to have a design a variant competition. Like, let's ah, see what yeah, people yeah. can come up with, right? That would be so cool. We got to do that. I got to get everybody on board. I got to get like the, the engines running to, uh, to get that to happen. Well, I'll say the same thing I told to chess.com. Spec work is unethical. <laughs> and on that note, this has been Chess Underground, September 2023. Gopal, I had a ton of fun. Uh, any final thoughts, teasers, et cetera, you want to drop here? Um, no, just uh, keep a lookout for maybe a winter challenge of some sort that we're going to announce at a yes. part, like I believe in our next episode. There, there is something cooking in the kitchen, I guess, uh, is the best we can say. I don't know when it will be ready, uh, but when it is, uh, the delicious smells will be released onto the world. And as the children say nowadays, uh, let him cook, yes? <laughs> I can smell okay. what the rock does. No, not okay. Anyway. All right. For National Master Gopal Menon, uh, this is Pete Karyanis. Uh, have a wonderful September, and we will see you next month. Thank you for listening to the Chess Underground, a U.S. chess podcast. Please check out our entire suite of podcasts, which release every Tuesday, and include Ladies' Night with Jen Shahad, as well as Chess Life cover stories and One Move at a Time with Dan Lucas. U.S. Chess would like to thank Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media for a podcast production and editing. If you are starting your own podcast, visit www.sevenseasonfilms.com for consulting, production, and editing. Until next time, signing off, Pete Karyanis. Thank you.